UX Podcast Episode 278. I'm James Roy Lawson. And I'm Pat Axbom. And this is UX Podcast, balancing business, technology, people and society every other Friday for over a decade. And with listeners in, a, in 200 countries and territories from Guatemala to Colombia. Nice. And today we have for you a link show when we, during our digital travels, find links, surprise each other uh, with these articles. So we have two articles for you. And <laughs> then we surprise each other. It's like I kind of like run well, around to your, your lakeside cottage and then yeah. like I'm, you wake up in the morning and I'm at your window <laughs> holding a printout of a Medium article. <laughs> Traumatized. That's the way it went down. This is. That's exactly how we plan these episodes. Uh, we have a uh, an article about... Uh, design systems, which actually is entitled "The Era of Design Systems is Gone." Yeah, that's, it's originally mm. by um, Seri Oza Plachinsky. I'm terrible with names, especially Russian names are not even even easy for me. Seriosha Plachinsky is what. Yeah, I you're so saying, much better. But I have no idea. So much better. Now, but you're better at doing it anyway. Um, <laughs> and that was the original author, and this has all been translated by Onshki. Right. Don't really know so much more about um, Onchki. It's a publication uh, with several writers, I think. It seems to be a person and seems to also be a host ah, of a podcast, okay. and the person seems to be Russian in Germany. That would be fantastic if they could just follow up and let us know. That would... Yes, that would be good. <laughs> and the second article we have for you is a follow-up article by Lisa Angela, uh, who we we had the, her first article a year ago on the show as well. Toxicity in digital de- de- uh, toxicity in digital design. A status report is this one, which is the follow up to the, the one last year was undoing the toxic dogmatism of digital design. Yeah, and she actually opens that article with, "No, seriously, it's been a year." Yeah, and <laughs> that is an, really a very good opening line to that um, article. But we'll get to that. Yes. So. First up is the era of design systems is gone, which, as we mentioned in the introduction, that this is an article that was originally written back in May 2020 um, in Russian um, by Per Seriosha Plachinsky. Thank you very much. Um, and this then has been translated into English. As as always, when you when you translate something, um, it, it gets a little bit rough around the edges at various points, but um, I think it's what what attracted me to this article anyway was the fact that it gives you um, a glimpse into another culture. Yes. Russia is one of those um, places in the world um, that there's a little bit of a barrier to what's going on there because you know, the character set and the language is very different to what we use. Um, and there just doesn't feel like there's a huge amount of overlap at times between the design community in Russia and the rest of the world. Maybe that's just my you know, westernized view on it all, or our, the way that our design world is dominated by English-speaking things. But I really like it when we do get these um, glimpses into these other worlds. And um, that was what the main reason why I wanted to 
Um, well, not it's one of the main reasons, giving us the opportunity to talk about something from another culture on the show. And also, I think it's actually got some interesting points to do with design systems. And right. that is what the article's about. It's not just a generic article about design systems. It's about the um, history or the development, the journey of design systems as a thing in um, Russian design and and development over the last what six years or five six years i guess seven years even it, it starts out in uh oh yeah five six years okay right. yeah i mean it's yeah, it, yeah. it's uh, basically it's um it, it starts by going through the history the recent history mm-hmm. of russian design systems and pinpoints the um the beginning of it all um to a css conference that was held back in 2016 so it goes back um, um, a little further with the, the global side of things with like Brad Frost's Atomic Design, um, Sketch, iOS 7 that came in 2014 with its flat design. It mentions also things like Material Design, um, IBM's Design Language, Lightning, MailChimp, BBC's Gel. Um, and also goes into the idea that um, that was born, that was rather the thing that was born from that with graphic editing software had no future. It became obsolete, and that components and the code itself were the source of truth. Right. So, even the, even this concept of design engineers, which I think is either design designers independent of developers or developers independent of designers, and building the solution by just piecing together stuff from a design system. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a high a hybrid role, and yeah, you're right. The article doesn't really go into the the um, the makeup of that role completely, other than it is expected that one person will be doing both of these um, these jobs. I remember and, even when way back when we were looking into these things that people were talking about now automated design. So AIs would take a design system and build the website for us, and we would become obsolete. <laughs> I still think you've got the, the the whole kind of thing with that um, um, the designs get created for you and you judge them. That's a, but that's another show power and another kind of topic. It's still going to happen. But but this um, the the author um, speculates about that the the rising demand for design engineers and tech solutions that accelerate the release cycle came during a period of renewed economic growth in Russia after the fall of the ruble from 2015 to 2018 and may have been a response to the shortage of skilled labor. So mm. this is this is fascinating that there you've you've seen how you know the the well, apparently the Russian design and development community is looking towards the global trends which are rife at this point um, and looking at their own situation with who's available to work on stuff and the 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 natural I suppose evolution of that is that you create hybrid roles to keep going forward and to keep doing stuff to achieve something um, that's expected of you um, at that period of time. And with the, we all know when you've got a, um, a period of economic growth and things are booming, then there is that momentum and you're expected to kind of keep on going. So that, that's a, it's a plausible, um, from what we've read and know about it, then it's a plausible mm. explanation of the situation. I really like that connecting uh, what is happening in design to a broader view of what is happening in society and, and, and in a specific culture. I, I think we do that um, too seldom, really. We, we really should think about where we fit in in a larger context and pr- more perhaps on a local scale than in a design industry scale. Yeah. It makes me think as well, Per, about the you know, going back to um, like the mobile web that 
we've discussed how in certain countries in the world, often it's particular countries in the continent of Africa that get brought up as examples where they've, mm. they've just completely skipped the, the desktop web. Right. It doesn't exist as a thing because people don't have desktop computers. They have mobile devices that are internet connected. So um, when you look at things from a world point of view, it isn't the case that every single part, every single country or territory in the world follows exactly the same development path um, of web digital design as each other. Some steps will get missed mm. or jumped or ignored or, you know, and it's it's not because they... They're not relevant steps, just that circumstances are different. But it's it's that's a really good point because it's such a huge trap for some junior designers who go online to search for design education. They watch a few videos on YouTube, uh, and what they get is largely a re representation of Western mm. design culture, which may not be what they actually need from their own perspective where they're designing. Yeah, yeah, Western design culture mm. and <clears throat> Western circumstances. Mm. Um, absolutely. So the article then goes on to say, then we hit 2019. <laughs> and oh, what seems to, it, it actually, I suppose it gets a little bit more tricky, I think, the article now. Is, um, it says that this all came to an end. The, the hype around design system seems to have come to an end around 2019 in, um, in Russia. They, um, there was an example of a design systems club, and that now it only had like links to eight design systems. Mm. And I'll quote, all of them, by and large, copy each other and are branding pages with sets of basic elements and principles. And all the differences boil down to who chooses which font and color palette. The, <laughs> the article also then goes on to a little critique of um, a published um, um, design system or actually set of a library of basic components um, and it pointed out that the 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 graphic editing software that seemed to be um, getting made redundant by the um, hybrid designer engineers um, seemed to have survived the war with code as the article says mainly thanks to figma um, and it's remained a tool of a designer mm. um, it also says that it seems that only mobile design is a thing that lends itself to some sort of systemization. Again, these points just are talking yeah. just about this published mm. set of, um, of components library. Mm. But it, uh, from from point of view of reflections on design systems and how they'd been um, developed, used, applied in Russia, it's really interesting. Um, they, they I did like what he said about the, the, the design systems club and, and the, the links that were posted within that forum where it actually seemed like all of the design systems, the eight, eight links, they sort of copy each other and the, they have the same basic sets of elements and principles. And the different differences really are what font and color palette are you using? Exactly. I think, like the quote I said there, that's, it's, it's kind of already iterated to yeah. something standard. And the article mm. also points mm. out that in, in, in the author's experience, these standard components that you get from these libraries rarely solve things. Mm. They... they they just exist to purely save time. But that's not a design system. It's just a library of, of basic components that aren't um, thought through and designed for your context and situation. And, and that, that I really can relate to because, I mean, I've, I've been part of plenty of um, projects and teams where things have been pulled in, you know, libraries have been pulled in. And, yeah, it gets you over the line quicker in the first iteration. Mm -hmm. 
then you test it, you analyze it, you get feedback on it, and you realize ah, that wasn't maybe really great. You kind of knew that anyway, because you were just getting getting stuff done. You were shipping stuff. And then when you realize the investment to, oh, that you, to make your own, and you add all this up, you kind of start to realize that rolling your own from the beginning probably might well have been the cheaper and better option. So yeah, it, exactly. it works to use these standard components if you are aware of the fact maybe they are going to be a stepping stone and need to just kind of use it to get something out there, you know, analyze and iterate. Um, but I think too many times we use it as an end solution. Mm. And, and when he talks about the learnings or the problems or, or the takeaways from this, it's that it seems that products really have to move fast. So they change quickly to be competitive. And the design system doesn't really allow for that because if you want to add a new component to a uh, design pattern library or what have you, uh, that takes time. And people just want to get the product out. <laughs> so they're getting yeah. frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. The quote there is, um, it's quite a ruthless one. Um, and the business doesn't care whether it's done using the system or not, as long as you're not, as well, as long as, long as it's um, the case that you're losing to your competitors. So, mm -hmm. so what they're saying there is the ruthlessness of business that, um, you know, sod your design system, um, we're, you know, we're bleeding cash kind of thing. Uh, that is one of the difficulties with um, getting buy-in for design systems. So why do they exist? What is the benefit of having an uh, overarching design system of maybe multiple products, maybe even multiple um, brands and companies? Um, and it, it is a challenge. Um, mm -hmm. And... You know, the cohesion of all that is very difficult to maintain. Mm. I really, really like the point he makes about uh, uh, unskilled designers and experienced designers as well. So even an unskilled designer with even the most elaborate tool will still do poorly. So this is the thinking that a lot of people seem to have, that if you have the design system, then you can take a junior designer, just give them that, and they have all the pieces to put together something that works. Mm. Uh, and on the other hand, if you have a skilled designer and you tell them this is what you have to use, uh, they stop to analyze and think critically is what he says, and this stops their development. And I can identify, you kind of get frustrated as well. I think what's an interesting conclusion from this article was that, they, that they, um, the author thinks that these design engineers and, and oh, possibly even to a degree design systems um, disappeared because of the emergence of cross-functional teams and, and companies having the resources for engineers to engineer and designers to design. Mm. So what he's, what he's saying is basically we, Russia reached a maturity point where they saw the value in having dedicated resources to do stuff. So they, were, they didn't need to be doing the, the, the quick and dirty stuff as much mm. and that it turns out to be better. Right. Strong a team, strong communication within the team, strong art leadership, and gradually after the big guys, everyone will start investing in it. Was one of the quotes from the towards the end of the article. Yeah, and the article itself has a quote from Spotify Design that I really really like uh, because I think that is one of my biggest takeaways. That this doesn't mean that you don't need a design system or that you shouldn't have one. It's how you use the design system and how you communicate it to, to the people who are using it. Uh, so the Spotify quote is, each team should be empowered to diverge from our recommendations, acknowledging that one solution may not work for everyone. So 
the crux of it is does the team feel confident enough to diverge yeah and to be able to do that you need experienced designers yeah and i know we don't we normally go with um recommended listening at the end of the show but really good recommending listening there would be our interview of gina ann from a number of years ago about design systems because she talked oh, yeah. exactly about that with the the um that oh, you need to have that flexibility brad frost mm. has also mentioned it we've talked to him that you, yeah you know it's not dogma exactly Moving on uh, to uh, Lisa Angela's follow-up uh, article, I'll have to say, uh, to her article from one year ago. And, and you're right, it, it surprised me when she wrote that it is actually a year ago. Uh, time, time moves in strange ways these, these times. Oh, I actually could have sworn weird. it was just before the summer. Yeah, I, I would say, <laughs> have said it's a couple of months ago we did that. <laughs> yeah, uh, this timeline is really weird. So, so her first article from a year ago is, is Undoing the Toxic Dogmatism of Digital Design. It's a very well-written critique of the digital, digital design industry, and it immediately got huge attention and shares across the world, I'll say. Uh, and we brought it up here on the show uh, in episode, I haven't 252. checked that yet. 252. And in it, Lisa describes uh, the design industry as a living paradox with a lack of self-awareness and incredible inconsistencies in quality. <laughs> and she called out a number of issues related to education, methods, seniority levels, uh, lack of exploration and hierarchy and ethics and inclusiveness. And she posted some reflections now and additions. And again, we want to bring them to your attention because first her own reflections on the first article relate to what her expectations were and what happened. She had expected more backlash and we should didn't get that. That actually made her more aware that these problems actually were something that the design industry seems to be aware of, but not dealing with. So she expected more people to to say to her, "You're wrong." Exactly. And they didn't. Mm. Hmm. She also felt there was too much focus on her as a person. So people thought, "Well, now you're the spokesperson for this," and she didn't want to become the spokesperson for the ills plaguing digital design. So she sort of had to turn down some some uh, speaker engagements just because she wanted to, didn't want to be that her thing. Uh, but also her network expanded, and I can relate to that. I mean, if you do posts that, that a lot of people read, you, you, you get a lot of interesting conversations going, which is lots of fun as well. But I think let's get real uh, then about the issues that Lisa, with her keen eye, still sees that we digital designers get wrong. Uh, the additional four that she brings up um, in this article. Exactly. We don't share critiques of successful work enough. Uh, this is interesting because it, our go-to thing, it seems in UX uh, that I hear a lot about, we need to share about all the thing that's go, things that go wrong, the experimentation and how we fail. But rarely do we actually, and she's so right about it, rarely do we actually critique the things that went really, really well and show people this is what we did to make it go really well. Uh, so all those processes, and she's obviously not talking about UI. Lots of <laughs> lots of people love to talk about UI, and this is so beautiful, and this is how people click and use it. She's talking about, I mean, how you work as a team and the processes and the frameworks that make something a success. And and I love the, because this really relates to the first article we talked about just now. Uh, she says we adopt design systems we don't even like because they're robust, complete and come from the design teams of big success successful companies. I'm looking at you, material design. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love that quote <laughs> just because of what we just talked about. 
because it seems that we are actually letting go of some competence and taking shortcuts. Yeah, but especially like material design, when you're when you're faced in an organization by a thing, a monolith like material design and like Google and Google are saying, we've spent X tens of thousands of man hours designing this. We've we've had studios with lamps and we've been moving lamps from different angles to see the shadowing so we can develop the layers and kind of think it through. I mean, as a as a as a designer in a organization and you're looking up to that. You can understand that it's difficult to fight back against it. It mm. looks massive. The, the resources in there look massive. Exactly. But it does mean to say we shouldn't be critical. Right. Exactly. And which should be the role that we're playing as UXers. That, that is what we say that we are competent at and adept at. Her second point is about power dynamics. Uh, she doesn't welcome someone looking at her avatar and assuming things about her identity that give them license to educate her, which goes for so many people. Uh, and I think this is something we see a lot on social media, but I think we forget that, and even, even let's say a person like myself who has quite a large following on Twitter uh, can forget that the effect that me replying to someone has on surfacing that conversation to a lot of followers. Uh, so you you boost the visibility of the discussion to outside of the original poster's uh, network, uh, which means that if it's a controversial topic, that can give what well, can be, as she says, quite traumatic for that person, uh, for someone who's less experienced and junior or from a historically excluded group. So it's more. This is a, really a point about letting people know that they should think more before talking on social media. Uh, or in other contexts as well, because their voice is heard to such a, an incredible extent because they have a large following, they have a large name in the industry. And so if you have a substantial following, just think about your impact a lot um, more. You, do you know what, though, Per? I think mm. yeah, it's it's not just about substantial following. I mean, a lot of this, it's down to the the, the white male thing, which... Is is so incredibly frustrating and annoying. The the amount of times you see, oh, and it is white men. It is jumping on I conversations. Yes, yeah. um, you see it and, all the time. I, and it just absolutely. Mm. I mean, that's the thing. It's absolutely shocking. Some of the conversations that get highlighted to to me, to you as well, mm. um, from people showing what what kind of rubbish men do online mm. to people and. Um, you know, for us, it's difficult to understand because we are white men. Mm. <laughs> but um, but it, it just, it really just, it upsets me at times seeing the kind of stuff people have to put up with. And it's even more upsetting when it's people of, um, of stature, you could say, uh, people with a, a power position mm. on social media or in our design industry that still maybe don't kind of think twice before jumping on uh, someone's tweet or, or, mm. or comment or something. Exactly. Uh, I love her summary of this as well. Don't assume you have to participate in the conversation at all, <laughs> uh, which, which I, I think is, is something that it, I, so I do tend to think about a lot more. There's no reason to participate in every conversation that you feel some sort of emotion <laughs> regarding. Uh, sometimes the best thing you can do is actually stay away. Yeah. We take up quite a bit of space anyway, Power. Mm. 
Uh, not enough, I'm on to number three now. Not enough historically excluded folks own alternative channels of design education. Uh, and this was actually sort of related to what I was saying uh, earlier about uh, acknowledging how many different types, and you were saying as well, different types of design contexts there are in different countries across the world on different continents, uh, but in different localities uh, in many different ways. Uh, and we are looking at, so many in the industry are looking at the same types of leaders and the same types of design, looking at models and tools that seem to be the same and should be applied everywhere, which just is not the case. So we, this is why there needs to be, a, to a large extent, so many more people from other walks of life to be the educators. Yeah. And, and our, what we see as our design community, design world, as we mentioned in the first article, mm. is very much um, English-speaking and white. Yeah, I mean, we know from the listening to the podcast, it's Americans followed by Brits, followed by, well, Swedes, but that's kind of a, a, a quirk of geography, and, and then Australians, which is mm. not surprising given that it's an English-speaking podcast about design. But, but that is then an ecosystem. It's a bubble that perpetuates. And um, it also means that there's, there's not enough people from the minorities in those countries um, at the top of the pile when it comes to the, the conferences, the publishing companies, the mm. education, um, um, educational platforms and courses. Exactly. We need to do better. Uh, yeah. I, I move, I'll move on to number four. Um, we don't know where to put our frustration with how things are, so we're directing it to all the wrong things. Uh, and this really struck a chord with me uh, because I'm in, I'm so involved in this ethics space and it's really easy to get into that frame of mind where you think, well, if you're not uh, really concerned with what's going on in the, in the tech space and how people are getting hurt, then you're not uh, caring enough. Uh, and, and Lisa, I think, is making a really good, good point here that some people actually aren't suited well they're they they don't have time to care or they're doing they're just doing they just want to do their job and they want to do their job well uh, but being an advocate uh, for responsible design is not for everyone and we have to accept that if if we are these people who stand up uh, at the at the front of these uh, debates and say that we need to do better uh, when it with regards to ethics well some people just also need to do their jobs uh not, not everyone can be a change maker is the word she uses. And so not everyone has to ident identify as that. And we need to allow that. We need to stop with these conflicts happening within uh, the design guild, uh, if you will. Uh, some people just want to do good enough work and make a decent living. And that's fine. <laughs> uh, that's fine. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's at the end of the day, your individual needs to survive. And um, mm. taking the moral high ground is is hard. And in, in some cultures, that's going to be harder than others. Yeah. Um, I mean, we know how it is in America, the way, the way that your, your job is packaged with your health care and, and, and other aspects, maybe even the mortgage of your house and so on, that, you're, um, that you, can't, you don't have that privilege of being able to kind of just, I quit, I'm not doing mm. this, and move on, uh, which puts you into an into a, um, ethical dilemma that you've got to continue working because you need to work and you don't feel as if you can shift and it seems yeah. you maybe don't feel as if you can um point things out call things out um 
fight for change because it might get you thrown out of that organization. Um, that's not the case in all cultures and all um, you know, countries, but um, but it, it's it's going to be tough for a lot of people, and it's not going to be the choice that some people want to make or feel that they have the space um, opportunity to to make. Exactly. So it's it's about allowing other people to be who they are, uh, and the approach I I try to take, and I know I don't always succeed in it, and that's that's part of it. But you, you want to know what, what approach you want to take. For me, it's like, if you want to make a change, uh, here are some insights and tools that help me. So I, I want to share that. But if you don't want to participate in, in the types of stuff that I'm doing, that's fine. Maybe you can't for some reason that I don't understand or it's none of my business. And that's okay too. But uh, mm. sort of lead by example, by showcasing this is how I work. And also be humble and open to critique and understanding that there are also a lot of other ways of doing it. I mean, I, oh, it's like you, you say, Power, we know that, you know, change comes from within, um, that, that phrase. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, I suppose, is, 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 you know, understanding what you value and um, making little changes to what you do do, yeah. um, that might be, over time, what actually does make the big change because we've made that tens of thousands of small changes. Yeah. This is a big, it's a big juggernaut of a machine. Um, is this? It's because it's not just design; it's 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 business and it's it's it society and it's cultures and there's so many things pulling so many directions. So you know, it's it's going to be a big, big ask for one person or a small number of people to stand up and and drag it to a new direction. Hmm. It's yeah, it's so hard. And just having this conversation with you right now is actually putting ideas into my head about our responsibilities that feel uncomfortable. And I like that. I like that because that is the purpose of her post and that's fine. And that's why we need to have these conversations mm. uh, because as we've mentioned time and time again, now we are two white men, middle-aged white men doing this show. And we have yeah. a lot of people listening to us from, from across the world. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Mm. And, and it also makes me think about how the amount of times when you don't kind of criticize. Well, criticize maybe is too strong a word, but when you when you think that maybe something isn't doing the job it should, whether it's a framework or a you know a, a way of working or you know, just you don't something that you don't feel is quite right, mm. and there's a there's an expectation that you don't criticize it or that you don't kind of shout out against it. Um, mm. So that pushes you back in your box as such that you 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 aren't you don't feel comfortable with with lifting a question about something because maybe it'd be seen as um, you know you're inexperienced you don't understand you've misunderstood um, right. you know you're wrong you know, mm. all these things are, are feelings you get you know and they might be right some of them but um, I suppose we I'd, I'd like us to be better at, at not being as hostile when when some mm. somebody. You know, just is querying something. Exactly, because that's the thing. They're querying, they're trying some, something out and they're testing it because what happens is, and what can happen so easily, especially then on, on Twitter and, and, and other types of social media is that somebody posts something, an idea, and somebody goes in and totally destroys that with the, with the way they say that they're wrong instead mm-hmm. of being curious and trying to 
get more information about what makes you think that way and trying to f- understand the other perspective. And once that argument is going on, if there's if somebody's with a lot of followers, then at, at once there are 10 more comments. And then going in from coming in from the side and trying to defend that first person, uh, all of a sudden it's just this mess of arguments. It's just not, I mean, it's it's embarrassing the, the way people are behaving. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I suppose some of it might be the fact that people are protecting their spaces. As well, you know, yes. It, yeah. Mm. If, if you, someone's been working with a particular thing or a mm. particular framework or something has proved to be successful for them, mm. then then that's going to increase, I guess, the natural um, defensive reaction if someone is oh, exploring it or, or calling it out maybe as, as something that maybe mm-hmm. isn't working for everyone. Yeah. There was um, also towards the end of the article, then, um, oh, it's a couple of things. I mean, design humanitari- humanitarianism. So design humanitarian, that was an interesting mm-hmm. phrase. Yeah. Um, but... I also love the, um, the the quote, don't shout down, shout louder. Ah. Lisa says. Um, yes. So rather than uh, rather than just you know, arguing about stuff and, and kind of talking something down, then take your thing and just talk more about that thing. Exactly. It's my interpretation of what she means there. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, <laughs> because that fits with, with her final words. Uh, choose an issue that you care deeply about that feels personal to you. Think carefully about how much time and energy you can reasonably commit to it and find a community that will hold you accountable. I like that as well for doing the work. And and then don't worry about perfection. I like that as well. Uh, just do your best to keep going and stay involved. And I totally agree with your interpretation. Find your thing, be vocal about that and stop destroying other people's arguments or ideas and explorations. So we've already mentioned some uh, listening uh, ideas for uh, next. Uh, the Lisa episode was 252. That is correct. Yes. Um, yes, Lisa is 252. Um, dog, well, um, that was a year ago, absolutely amazingly. Um, I've also mentioned episode 268, which was uh, managing design systems with Brad Frost from um, just before the summer. Um, and... Of course, I also mentioned um, Gina the Gina Ann um, podcast, um, which that was a, that's four years ago now, um, episode one hundred and sixty-three. Um, oh wow! Four so, so historically, it ties in nicely with the the yes. period of time we're talking about with the um, the Russian design systems article. Hmm. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. So, James, you know how many ears Captain Kirk has? Uh, well, I, I think I know how many ears Captain Kirk has. Do I need to guess? Yeah, it's three. Three? Yeah. What? The left ear, the right ear, and the final front ear. Oh.